Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to pioneer targeted lung cancer treatments and advance knowledge of diagnostic testing. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Howard Hoxter, Anise Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, Dr. Hoxter is joined by Dr. Jonathan Leventhal for a conversation about sun safety and skin cancer. Dr. Leventhal is an instructor in the Department of Dermatology and director of the Yale Oncodermatology Clinic. Dr. Hoxter is a professor of medicine and medical oncology and associate director for clinical sciences at Yale Cancer Center. Maybe you can start out telling us a little bit about your background and how you came to the field of dermatology. Mm -hmm, sure. Thanks for having me. And so my background is that I went to NYU for uh, medical school, and it was in medical school that I first became interested in uh, the field of dermatology as a whole during uh, patient rotations, seeing the profound impact that skin disease had on patients' lives, and not just physically, but also um, emotionally. And then I did my training here at uh, Yale University in dermatology, and it was during my residency training where I interacted with lots of cancer patients at the Smilo Cancer Hospital and worked with mentors that, um, that treated such patients, and that's when I really became interested in caring for cancer patients who developed adverse events um, on their skin due to treatment. I see. So, uh, you know, dermatology is kind of an area of demand today for people who are medical students and want to go into practices, but you've kind of taken the hard road of being in a um, cancer center and dealing with uh, skin cancer. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and and uh, can you give us any insight into that? Sure. So, so my interest has always been uh, that in a medical dermatology, um, primarily. And it's nothing brings me greater joy than being able to help uh, cancer patients stay on their potentially life-saving treatments and, and improving their quality of life. So I think my experiences as a resident here at Yale uh, opened my eyes to that, and I, I sort of never turned back. Okay. And uh, so let's turn to skin cancer. So how do you classify skin cancer? Mm -hmm. so, sure. So skin cancer, as you know, is, is the most common type of cancer in the United States. One in five Americans may develop skin cancer um, during their lifetime. Um, and so it's really important uh, that people are aware of, of how common it is and the different types. So there's, there's three main types of skin cancer. Uh, basal cell skin cancers are the most common, uh, followed by squamous cell skin cancers, and then there's melanoma. And um, even though melanoma is only about 1% of skin cancers, it is the deadliest form. And unfortunately, the incident rates of melanoma have been tripling over the past uh, three decades. And so it's, it's very important that, uh, that people are aware of the significant burden that melanoma can have on their lives if they are to be diagnosed with it. So we, let's talk about the non-melanoma skin cancers now, basal and squamous. So what causes these and what should patients be looking for? Mm -hmm. So primarily the cause for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers is uh, UV or ultraviolet uh, radiation or uh, radiation damage on the skin. UV causes um, mutations in our DNA that then leads to the development of, uh, of cancer. And, and what patients should be looking out for for basal cells and squamous cells are, are, are new lesions on their skin that, that um, seem to be um, irritating or, or non-healing 
sling or, or scab over, something that, that they haven't had before. And, and basal cells are generally are on uh, sun-exposed areas, um, particularly the face. Um, and they often, patients will describe it to me as kind of like a pimple that just doesn't quite heal. It just, it just persists, and that seems to be one of the most common complaints. Uh, squamous cell skin cancers um, can present from sort of pink scaly uh, lesions on the skin to more painful warty growths. And so it's sun exposure for both of these. Correct, yeah. And, and these skin cancers are fairly common, but they're also commonly treated just with surgical excision. Right. And so um, the treatment of these skin cancers is generally by, by surgical treatment, and the type of surgical treatment depends on the type of skin cancer. Um, for instance, squamous cell skin cancers are generally excised um, or completely cut out, where some um, thin basal cells on the body can actually be treated um, by methods called electrodesiccation and curatage, for which a dermatologist will scrape and burn off the lesion. But yes, in general, the majority of skin cancers are treated surgically. Burning can also mean freezing. I guess. Well, not so much freezing with liquid nitrogen. That, that's more of a treatment for the precancer response, oh, but it, it's really the, uh, the curatage. Now, with that said, there actually are a few um, non-surgical methods to treat skin cancer, and those include uh, creams. And we usually save those for more of the indolent type of skin cancers, like thin basal cells or very thin squamous cell in situ, and those can be treated by creams such as amiquimod or fluorouracil cream. So you said it's UV radiation. So is that like regular being out in the sun to get tanned? Mm-hmm. Correct. And does um, suntan lotion protect you? Mm-hmm. So, so absolutely. So, so, so there's two main types of UV, radia- UV radiation that um, can help, um, can, can facilitate uh, skin cancer. That's UVA and, and UVB. And so sunscreen and sun protective behavior can absolutely um, reduce your chance of getting skin cancer. So, like, we should wear those hats with the ear flaps? Correct, yes. So, so ideally, um, broad, it, it, broad rim hats. It's not enough that I just put the SPF 30 on my ears? So putting SPF 30 on your ears is, is a great start, and, and, and as well as reapplying it. But um, I, ideally, if, if possible, to uh, wear broad-rimmed hats or, or avoid the, the sun and seek shade um, could, could be done. That, that would be uh, preferable. But yes, but, but if you cannot, then wearing SPF 30 sunscreen and reapplying it often is, um, is very important in preventing uh, UV damage and ultimately reducing your chance of skin cancer. And the, the um, sunblock with uh, these SPF formulations, does that protect against both UVA and UVB? Correct. And so it's important when you purchase a, a sunblock um, that you find one that is called broad spectrum, meaning that it blocks both UVA um, as well as UVB. And many people don't realize that UVA rays can actually penetrate the car window. So even when you're right. in your car, um, you can uh, have UV uh, damage on your skin. Just the sun in general. Anytime you're out there. So what about people who like like to go out and get sunburned or, you know, lay out in the tanning? That's not good behavior. Well, un- unfortunately, um, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very common. I see this all the time as a dermatologist. People, people love being outdoors and, and, and getting a suntan but, uh, or, or, or they get sunburn or tanning beds. We know now uh, that the data suggests that um, sunburns and tanning beds both increase your risk of developing skin cancer, including melanoma, which is potentially lethal. And so um, there's been a, a lot of push towards preventing uh, tanning, especially in, in younger individuals. Right. So I want to come back to that in a minute. But, you know, we're on the shoreline here. I see people who've, like, worked on 
fishermen, people who work on the shoreline, who have a lot of sun damage on their skin. You see a lot of actinic damage at, you know, sunspots and things like that um, over years and years of, of exposure. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do these people need to do for their skin health? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great question. And so um, it used to be thought that only sunburns uh, and sun damage from when you were younger mattered. But now we know that um, it's really cumulative uh, sunburns throughout life that increase the risk of, uh, of skin cancer. And so no matter how much sun damage they've had previously, um, they can always start practicing a sun uh, protective behavior and avoiding getting burned, wearing a hat, sunglasses, applying a broad spectrum sunscreen that's SPF 30 or above, reapplying it every few hours, especially after um, swimming or, or, or sweating. And they even sell um, UV protective clothing. You can purchase it at stores or online. And that's something that I recommend to all of my patients. So those of our shoreline listeners who love to sit out at the beach or whatever, there's a lot of reflected light. You don't have to be just laying out to get the UV damage. But it, if you go outside and you're going to be in the sun, if you're working on a boat, whatever, even at this stage, you should put on the sunblock. Correct. So that's interesting. And and what do we? What are the laws now about the um, tanning beds and all that? I mean, people here at Yale have kind of led some of the research that showed that tanning beds can actually lead to early can- skin cancer. Right, right. And there was actually a, a big study from Minnesota um, recently that suggested that young women who um, who tanned indoors were uh, had six times more likely odds of developing melanoma than those who did not. And so a lot of this is driven by, by state legislation, but many states have already um, um, set laws to prevent um, individuals less than 18 years of age from uh, tanning, which I think is a, is a great start. Right. But no matter what your age is, when you get into the tanning booth, that's going to increase your risk of skin cancer, including all the types that we've talked about, basal, squamous, and especially melanoma, which is the most serious form of skin cancer. Absolutely. Yep. So people... Tan is kind of a healthy look, but if you're going through UV light to get it, that's probably not a healthy practice. Right. And so this is something that I I say to my patients. There's actually no such thing as a healthy tan. Anytime patients have a tan, that means that their skin has been UV damaged. And it's not just so much that the UV damage will cause mutations that lead to uh, skin cancer, but UV can break down collagen and elastin in your skin and can lead to wrinkles and, and having unhealthy appearing skin. And so, for, and so for all these reasons, uh, it's important to, uh, to prevent UV damage to, to your skin. And are there some other risk factors like skin types and things like that that predispose? Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. So, when it, so for instance, for melanoma, the cause is likely a combination of environmental um, and inherited or genetic risk factors. So for the risk factors that we uh, cannot control, um, the type of skin and ability to burn matters a lot. So patients who have very fair skin with light hair and uh, light eyes and lots of freckles um, have an increased uh, potential to burn and are at increased risk for developing melanoma. Uh, patients who have over 100 moles or over five atypical moles have also a, a largely increased risk of developing melanoma. And so these are risk factors that we can control, but it's important to know about because for pay- people who have these risk factors, they should be screened um, for skin cancers by a dermatologist. And, and what is the recommendation for that, for uh, dermatologic 
skin cancer screening? Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting question because we, we don't really have great guidelines by the United States Preventative Task Force, but what's generally um, recommended by the American Cancer Society and the American Academy of Dermatology is that patients who are at increased risk of developing skin cancer or those who have had a skin cancer should be screened by a dermatologist at least yearly. Now, for patients who have had melanoma or other types of skin cancer um, develop more frequently, I recommend screening them at least two to three times yearly to try to pick up skin cancer earlier on before they uh, can potentially spread. And what do you as a dermatologist do when you do a skin cancer screening? Mm -hmm. so, so I perform a total body skin examination from head to toe, and that includes looking through the, um, the hair and the scalp, uh, looking through all the, the crevices, in, including the, the, um, the private parts. Uh, and I look for uh, uh, lesions that, that aren't uh, normal and things that could be a basal cell, a squamous cell, or, or a melanoma. And then when I find one, I'll perform a skin biopsy, which is a very simple procedure to sample um, the lesion. And then a pathologist will look at it under the microscope and come up with a diagnosis. So <clears throat> the main thing is that, like, you have to inspect their whole skin everywhere. Correct. And you use it, like... Uh, eyeballs and a little magnifier kind of thing? Right. So we use our eyeballs, and we also use a device called, um, well, I use a device called the dermatoscope, which many dermatologists use, and this provides magnification to the lesion and helps better inspect um, the, the, the properties of the skin lesion. And some studies suggest that by using a dermatoscope, this may increase the sensitivity in uh, diagnosing um, a, skin, a skin cancer. Okay. Well, we are going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about sun safety, melanoma, and cancer treatment with cutaneous side effects with Dr. Jonathan Leventhal. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a science-led biopharmaceutical company dedicated to elevating conversations about biomarker testing to improve outcomes for advanced cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. There are over 13 million cancer survivors in the U.S. and over 100,000 here in Connecticut. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. Following treatment, the return to normal activities and relationships may be difficult and cancer survivors may face other long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the one at Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Howard Hoxter, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Jonathan Leventhal, and we are just discussing sun safety and skin cancer. So, Jonathan, in the first part of this segment, we talked a little bit about the more sun exposure risk factors for for skin cancer we didn't talk much about melanoma so mm -hmm. but you mentioned that melanoma is more serious so can you tell us a little bit about what melanoma looks like and what people should be concerned about and why 
melanoma is such a problem? Mm-hmm. Sure thing. Well, so first of all, melanoma is a malignant tumor of the melanocytes. These are the cells in our body that produce pigment and protect us from um, UV damage. And so melanoma can present in a variety of ways, but in particular, patients will often describe it appearing like a mole that seems to be changing or different or, or new. So melanoma is usually a pigmented lesion um, that is asymmetrical, has irregular borders. The colors might not be perfectly uniform. And, and most importantly, it, it is a changing lesion on your skin. And um, rarely melanoma can present as an amelanotic lesion, meaning it lacks pigment. It would appear pink or red um, in, in color. And melanoma has become um, a big problem because of not only just the increasing incidence, but also because of the potentially lethal nature of it. And melanoma is a type of skin cancer that often affects individuals in the prime of their life in the 40s and 50s and 60s, um, not just um, um, elderly individuals who've accumulated lots of sun exposure over their life. So for the treatment of melanoma, um, uh, what's the general approach? Mm -hmm. Sure. So once the diagnosis is made, the type of treatment depends on, on predominantly the depth of the, of, of the melanoma in your skin. And, and that leads to a, a, a staging mechanism. And so for melanomas that are not very deep in the skin, the ones that have a, a better prognosis, the treatment is um, surgical excision. For melanomas that are deeper, oftentimes what's called a sentinel lymph node biopsy will be performed by a surgeon, and, and that's a procedure where the surgeon will sample the, the draining lymph node to, make, to see if the melanoma cells involve the lymph node. And that predominantly helps with, um, with the prognosis and, and, and staging of the melanoma. And unfortunately, if melanoma does spread, which it may, particularly the, the, the deeper uh, melanomas, then referral to an oncologist is required, and patients may need to be treated with um, different types of chemotherapy or, or radiation or, or even newer um, targeted therapies or immune, immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. So basically the risk factor for the melanoma, not for getting it, but for determining the treatment, the higher risk ones are the ones that are th thicker or penetrate deeper into the skin. Correct. And people always have surgery to that primary melanoma, but you're saying if it's deep, then we tend to take out some of the lymph nodes in the area that that skin goes to to see if it's already spread a bit to the lymph nodes. Yes. I mean, we'll generally do a CAT scan and so forth to make sure it hasn't spread anywhere else in the body, but we know that even thin melanomas have this propensity to spread, and then there are, uh, it's a very serious kind of cancer. Yes. Unfortunately, the deeper melanomas that are stage four have a very poor um, survival. Yeah. And so the, the uh, things that we've been working on in our melanoma group here at uh, the Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital is um, a new immune, immunotherapies for uh, melanoma, and some of those are quite effective, and they're even being used now in prevention for high-risk individuals. But um, for people who are l listening out there, I guess the main thing is to have your skin looked at. And if you have a pigmented lesion that looks like it's changing, you need to see the doctor. Right. For any, anyone who has a new or, or changing lesion on their skin or a lesion on their skin that, that seems to be um, symptomatic, meaning it can, it can be itchy, it can bleed, it can scab over, you should certainly see a dermatologist. 
Okay. And um, you're the director of oncodermatology at, uh, at the Smilo Cancer Hospital. That, that's an impressive title. What, what is exactly oncodermatology? Oh, thank you. So, so oncodermatology is a, is a growing field in dermatology that's dedicated to treating um, cancer patients who develop conditions of the skin, hair, or nails that are related to their treatments primarily. So, for example... So, for example, um, any cancer treatment can result in, um, in, in, in skin toxicity or adverse events. So, for instance, traditional chemotherapies, which have been around for years, can result in hair loss, as we know, but could also um, result in, in, in skin rashes and painful uh, nail infections and nails falling off. And the newer targeted chemotherapies, which, which have been um, fantastic and have sort of changed the game of, uh, of treating cancer patients, have a very high probability of resulting in skin toxicity. So, for instance, a lot of the newer targeted agents cause um, acne, uh, really severe acne oftentimes, and, and, and painful uh, lesions on patients' palms and soles with nail infections. And I see a lot of patients for this as well. A lot of the targeted treatments can also result in hair changes. And, and not just hair loss, but also hair change in quality, color, um, and, and not just on the scalp, but also on the eyelashes and the eyebrows. And that can be very uh, symptomatic for patients. And, and the new immune uh, therapies, the checkpoint inhibitors, can also result in, um, in itchy or, or painful skin rashes as well. And I see a lot of that in my clinic. And um, in radiation therapy can result in burns or eczema-like reactions in the skin, and also stem cell transplantation, which is used a lot to treat hematologic patients with leukemias or lymphomas, can result in, uh, in, in skin rashes and a condition called graft-versus-host disease um, as well. So really, the bottom line, any cancer treatment can result in a, in a skin adverse event. And my goal as an oncodermatologist is to improve patients' quality of lives, treat their skin conditions, and allow them to stay on their potentially life-saving treatments. And we're very <clears throat> appreciative of your help in that area as someone who are, gives these drugs and causes skin toxicity. Mm -hmm. So, again, we, we think you're doing a, a real service for our patients. And we have to be thankful that uh, there, we have a kind of hospital where we have this level of expertise. So, again, chemotherapy, even old-type chemotherapy can cause some skin um, problems. Mm -hmm. uh, the newer targeted drugs um, tend to cause a lot of rashes. Uh, some of the antibody type treatments can cause acne-like rashes and uh, hair growth. I've personally treated people's eyelashes. Yes. That, you know, because it can get to be pretty uncomfortable if uh, you get big, thick eyelashes that you can't blink very well. Absolutely. And, um, and then with the now the um, immune th immuno-oncology drugs, the new immune checkpoint inhibitors, they're different kinds of rashes. But you see that a lot in melanoma patients. I think they're the ones who are getting the most of uh, these drugs are initially started, have been getting them the longest. So you're seeing them for melanoma and for the skin problems. Absolutely. And now uh, these, these checkpoint inhibitors are used and have been approved in, uh, in many cancers, including um, uh, non-small uh, cell lung cancer. I see it in a lot of genitourinary cancers, and and uh, patients are presenting with many different types of rashes from these uh, checkpoint inhibitor therapies. But I, I guess I want to um, 
make the point that not everybody gets the skin rashes, right? Oh, of course, of course. And that's, and, and that's a very important point, that the majority of, of people, and even those who, who get the skin rash, are, are able to stay on their, their treatments. In, in general, the rashes can be well-controlled with a number of uh, uh, treatments that, that we have for them. And so um, they tend to be very, very well-tolerated. Um, and so what kind, what's your approach to treating the patients who have these skin toxicities from their treatments? Sure, absolutely. And a lot of this depends on the individual patient and on the type of rash and, and how severe the rash is. And, and there's different grades for that. But um, we, I use a combination of, uh, of topical medications. So these are creams that can either be um, steroid creams or antibiotic creams that, that tend to work very well, especially for the acne-type rashes and some of the more uh, itchy, um, dry skin. For, for some of the more severe rashes, I'll have to use sometimes oral antibiotics and even oral steroids by mouth um, to help calm down the inflammation. And, 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 and rarely, we have to hold treatment to sort of allow the, the skin toxicity to resolve a bit but before continuing it. We also use a variety of uh, antibacterial washes that we recommend to our patient, patients and uh, moisturization techniques to keep their skin uh, nice and moisturized to prevent uh, dryness and, and, and cracking. We have some strategies to help, uh, to help promote hair regrowth in the form of foams or, or even pills by mouth in, uh, in some patients. And um, those, are, those are sort of the main, the main strategies that we use to, to treat um, these, these skin rashes. Some of the um, targeted therapies and also s some of the older chemotherapy drugs affect even the palms and the soles. Mm -hmm. So uh, we call that hand-foot syndrome. So what do you do for that? Oh, sure. So, so there's hand-foot syndrome and hand-foot skin reaction. A lot of the older chemotherapies will cause hand-foot syndrome when you have red, swollen hands and feet. And, and for that, we'll often use high-potency strength uh, topical steroids. And I'll often, one of my tricks is I'll, I'll have patients apply the steroid creams, then apply a cotton glove overnight, which really helps to, uh, the steroid cream penetrate better. We'll often use ice packs to, um, for symptomatic relief. And, uh, and that's the main strategy for that. Now, the targeted therapies, the newer chemos, can result in very painful calluses on the hands and feet with associated numbness and tingling, and, and that could really impact patients' quality of life. And that's called hand-foot-skin reaction. And so for that, I use a variety of creams to help um, soften and loosen up the painful calluses. Um, and I also will use topical steroid um, ointments as well. I think it's very important for patients who have these painful calluses, especially on their feet, see a podiatrist. And podiatrists um, can really help pare down some of the calluses. Um, and I'll, I'll counsel patients to avoid contact with the hot water and, and try to limit uh, the amount of friction on their hands and feet because friction is something that will, will increase the chance of more painful um, lesions on the hands and feet. And that hand-foot skin reaction is with some of the targeted therapies today. Yeah. Yeah, so a little prevention and some moisturizers and creams can be very helpful. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so what, what do you see as the biggest challenge uh, in today in oncodermatology? I mean, what is, you know, what, what do you think is where you can contribute the most and is the most uh, difficult yeah. so, uh, problem for you? 
I think a lot of it is is the increasing demand of patients who, who will develop skin toxicities. And oncodermatology is a growing field, but a lot of other institutions don't have a dermatologist who, who uh, specializes in oncodermatology or, or who sees uh, cancer patients in a, in a time that's, that's appropriate for them to be seen, because a lot of these reactions come on strong, and, and, and they also come on quite rapidly. And so for me, uh, one of the logistical challenges is being able to see all these patients, getting them in uh, on time, and, 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 and being able to, to, to treat them for their, for their skin reactions to treatment. Do you think this is an area that uh, is going to continue to expand, that there's going to be more need for more dermatologic interventions? Absolutely. I do think so, especially with the advent of, of new checkpoint therapies, and, and, um, which will be uh, approved for many different types of cancers. Uh, undoubtedly, new skin toxicities will be discovered, and it will be very important for dermatologists to work very closely with oncologists, like we do here at SMILO, um, to help keep patients on their, um, on their treatments and, and to treat their skin disease, which can have a, a very profound, uh, not just physical, but, but emotional impact on their well-being. Well, as someone who gives drugs that cause skin toxicity and works on the same floor in the same clinic with you, <laughs> I must say that it is a great resource to have you there, and it's been really a wonderful experience for our patients to be able to see you and get the right kind of care. And so um, we're really glad to have you part of the team at SMILO and at the Yale Cancer Center. So I just want to review in our last uh, 30 seconds about skin cancer in general. Uh, avoid the sun. Avoid UVA and B radiation. Use sunblock. Um, and wear protective clothing. If you have a fair skin, uh, blonde, redheads, uh, freckles, you should really get frequent skin exams. And what else? I think you covered. I think you covered most of it. The bottom line is, I I tell my patients to be advocates for their skin. If there's anything new, itching or changing on their skin, have it evaluated and and do your best to avoid UV damage because you won't just look better, but you'll have healthier skin and you'll reduce your chance of getting skin cancer. Dr. Jonathan Leventhal is an instructor in the Department of Dermatology and director of the Yale Oncodermatology Clinic. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.